double the trouble, double the fun. The movie we watched this week has Nicolas Cage playing two brothers. This week we watched Adaptation. What do you say we cut the chit chat a hole? This is the unbearable fate of massive talent. I'm Brittany Green. And I'm Liz Kurtzman. And you held it together. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. I had to hold. I can't. I couldn't. The way Brittany said two brothers, um, we had to do like three takes. <laughs> because it made me laugh. Oh. Uh, but I'm very strong and I'm very brave and we you, made it you through. Did. You're so powerful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, so... Um, 2002, 2002 adaptation directed by Spike Johns. Jones? 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 It's not a hard name. I don't think I've ever heard it said out loud. I've only ever read it. And yeah, it looks it's... like it's spelled Johns. John Z? But it's Jones Z? <laughs> it's Jones. But it's Jones. Spike Jones. He was married to Karen O for a little while. He was also, at the time that this film was made, Cage's in law because he was married to Sofia Coppola. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Cousin-in-law? I don't know. Cousin-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he, you know, he gets around, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And also, uh, screenplay written by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. Which is great. (laughs) I didn't really know, because they list in the credits at the beginning that the screenplay is by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman. And I didn't realize until I was, like, reading later that, like, oh, Donald Kaufman's not a real person. It's not a real person. Um, but, uh... This is a crazy cast. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't prepared, because obviously I've heard of this movie. I hadn't seen it before. You saw it, like, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um... Not quite 20 years, but... Uh, 15, 16? Yeah, probably 15. Yeah. Um, and... So I didn't realize, like, I knew, obviously, that Nick Cage was in it. But I didn't realize Tilda Swinton, Meryl Streep, Maggie Gyllenhaal... Chris Cooper, uh, Ron Livingston, uh, mm-hmm. Ben, uh, not Ben, Brian Cox. Yeah. Um, so in a lot of, and they're all, just, a bunch of them are just like one or two scenes. Yeah. Barely in it. Um, but it's a really wild cast to watch going across the screen when it first starts. I was just like, and then, and what? Um, so yeah, and it's a incredibly nominated movie. Yeah, one for best adapted screenplay. Yes. Which is really fun. Yeah. I think this is one of the most meta movies that exists because it's the movie about the screenwriter having a hard time to adapt this book. And mm-hmm. then it has like both the author of the book and uh, Charlie Kaufman himself kind of is in it as Nick Cage. Or Nick Cage as Charlie Kaufman. Um, and uh, just all kinds of fun goofy stuff. I'm curious, when we finished the movie, you said that this wasn't what you were expecting it to be. Yeah. And I'm sort of curious about, like, what you expected. Yeah. I, because I, I knew it from probably trailers, but I don't even remember the trailers. Right. Mostly, I just remember seeing the poster over and over again. And it's, like, the pot of orchids and Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage. And sometimes the pot of orchids is broken or fallen over or, like, his head. Um, and so I thought it was, and I know it was sort of a 
dark comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, and I knew he played twins. So I think that I thought it was sort of a like one twin is dark and one's good sort of thing. Or like one twin is like taking over the other's life. Yeah. Um, and that's all I really knew. And that's not it. It's more like the, the separation of the twins is more about like insecurity. Right. Versus like confidence or... Yeah, one of them is, like, super anxiety-filled, and the other one is, like, happy and full of life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so, I thought that was interesting. I was trying to look up to see what the um, adaptation was that... Or, sorry, the screen... The book... The Orchid Thief? No, no, no. I wanted to see who beat this movie for screenwriting. Oh, I thought it won for screenwriting. It did not. Oh. It was nominated. The Do you know who did win the Oscar for this movie? Hmm. Because there were four nominations. I feel like it's a safe bet to guess Meryl Streep, but... She was nominated, but she did not win. Okay. Uh, Chris Cooper. Oh! For Best Supporting Actor won Good for the Chris Oscar. Cooper. Um, he now, had some really good parts. He had a really interesting character, a difficult play- character to play. Yeah. And to play him in a way that was, like, humane and not a caricature. Right. Um. So I understand why he... Uh, one, it is surprising that like out of Street, everybody, out of all of the one. nominations, that he was the one that got it. Um, I can't. I'm trying to find. There's too many Oscars. Um, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot. I'm just is Gosford Park. Maybe is that who beat them? Come back later. Um, but they also like I couldn't even list you all of the nominations this movie had from just, like, Critics' Choice and BAFTAs and mm-hmm. all that. Um, the, they did win the BAFTA for the screenplay. Oh, also, um, supposedly, the rumor is Nick turned down Green Goblin to play this movie. You know, I'm happy about that. I also don't know if that's true. I've heard that rumor before. I don't know if he ever was, if he was offered it or was just in the running for it. You know? Right. Nicolas Cage could play Green Goblin. Yeah. But Willem Dafoe could not play Charlie Kaufman. I I will say, I, I mean, don't think that Nicolas Cage's Green Goblin would be as good as Willem Dafoe's. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, like he could, and I think Willem Dafoe could do this part and wouldn't be as good as Nick Cage. Yeah. He's, he's done, I mean, in Green Goblin, he plays two characters, basically. That's true. <laughs> Which pair of twins are you going to... Which dark reflection? We were, uh, you even said while we were watching it that you could believe that Donald was, like, a split personality. From... I did. Well, because they also kept talking about multiple personalities. Right. And so I I was like, if they hadn't shown Donald talking to people so much in this film, I would believe, like, I would the whole I would have spent the whole movie being like, he's not real. Yeah. He's not a real person. After you um, said that, I was kind of watching it that way, and yeah. I was like, probably not, but yeah. that's a fun thing to think about. Absolutely. If they hadn't shown him at, like, the party and with Maggie Gyllenhaal, I would have been like, that is just two sides of his psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Nicolas Cage lost to Adrian Brody for the, pian- um, the pianist. For the pianist. Actor. Um, and Chris Cooper won for adaptation. And, uh, oh, I guess it was supporting role. Catherine Zeta-Jones won for Chicago. Oh, okay. And then, I don't know, we'll get back on this. The screenwriting is, like, at the bottom. Control F. Uh, this, this, oh, here we go. Uh, what? 
It's not an original screenplay. Oh, it's, it's an adapt. Okay. Pianist one. Mm, dumb. Which, I don't know. As, as far as screenplays go, this is a better screenplay. Right. Yeah, because The Pianist is a good movie, but it is a very sort of typical, yeah. like, straightforward story, historical story. Usually whereas this is, like, is the one that really goes to the Stranger Things. Yeah. Not but, the TV show, but. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a little surprised by that one. Hmm. I don't agree. Anyway. <laughs> My two cents? Mm-mm. No, thank you. Uh, so Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman were nominated for this. And Good they were like. Donald, you know? <laughs> also, the movie's dedicated to him. In um, memory of. <laughs> memory of. <laughs> uh, how did you feel about. Let's start with just like the way that Nicolas Cage looked in this film. Oh, man. Great. <laughs> uh, well, okay. So, the we talked G- about this. The movie just actually starts with him sort of like describing how he feels about himself yes he um, always is talking about how he is balding and fat and disgusting and pathetic yeah like all of his voiceovers bring that up and what's fascinating to me which is like those are insecurities that certainly men of that age have and he's playing on that but we looked up charlie kaufman and he is a slight of hair man with so much hair and I was wondering if he did it to make it more universal or if he's trying to dis- distance himself as much as possible yeah, from this that. sort of fictional version of himself. He certainly doesn't look anything like Nicolas Cage, even in normal life. Mm-mm. But, uh, yeah, he's got, like, the most ridiculous... He looks a little bit more like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Between the two of them. Between the two of them, sure. Yes. Two, because he doesn't he, look like either of he them. He doesn't look like either of them, but Willem Dafoe is a slight man with a ton of hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, he has, like, a really weird wig that is thinning, it's a, but it's, it's like a... It's a rough wig. It's like a, a very curly... Uh, it, it's, it's not even curly, it's just frizzy. Yeah. It's just sort of, like, frizzy. But also thin on the top. But on the top, so thin, and also this, like, weird orangey blonde Mm -hmm. it's not good and um okay so i did tease this when we were watching the movie Uh, he wears a fat suit in this film um generally i have a lot of feelings about fat suits however this was like so unnecessary as a fat suit too i felt like just because he's not he's not like fat he's not like fat he's like a little flabby he's flabby he's like a middle-aged balding flabby dude and like wearing the fat suit seems silly can you guess because as i said this is not a foam or latex fat suit which is what they usually use um can you guess what they used to sort of imitate the way that like fat actually moves well, I guessed earlier human skin, and you said imagine. So I'm going to imagine it's not human skin, probably. Um, it's more of what it's filled with. Oh, is it like like sort of like water balloony? It's filled with beans and lentils. Ew, what? <laughs> they wanted it to jiggle. Okay. Like fat, which again, I didn't it does. notice, really. Like, I like, guess. There's, like, there's really, like, one or two. There was one part where he was running, and I could really see, mm. like, his boobs kind of moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, here's the here's why this is so funny, though, is that it was obviously very hot and heavy, mm. because it's filled with beans. What's the outside and of it made out of if it's not? That's probably latex. Not human skin. Not, well. Human skin maybe. filled with beans. <laughs> Filled with beans. <laughs> a nightmare beanie baby. 
<laughs> Satan's beanie baby. Um, Nick Cage sweated so much and got so hot that the lentils started to sprout. Oh no! <laughs> That's terrible. This awful. Um, it's the only fat suit that I'll support in film. <laughs> if you're gonna wear a fat suit, you better you gotta wear well wear one filled with beans. You gotta go full beans, full beans. If you're gonna wear a fat suit, you gotta commit. You gotta grow a garden on your body. <laughs> So I wonder, so there's a couple of parts in the movie where he is sweating a lot. Yeah. And the first time that he's like, he's like really self-conscious of it is he's meeting the Hollywood agent Mm -hmm. or the Hollywood like producer lady, Tilda Swinton. Yes. And he's talking about sweating and I was like, the beads on his face are too perfect. Yeah. Is that real? Or the beads were from the beans. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) That suggests that either... That is how he was sweating in that, and they had to try and keep him dry the rest of the movie, or they gave him extra water in that one, you know? Like, yeah, the way it was like, it was super beaded. It was, it looked very realistic. Maybe they just had him run around for a while in the fat suit, and then he sat down, and it was just, yeah. Um, Another interesting thing that Nicolas Cage has said about this movie is that he ignored all of his instincts when playing this. And just did what the director said and hmm. got a nomination for it, which is interesting. Maybe you should try doing what the director says. More this is why, time. okay, this is why we said this before. He's got to have a director with a strong vision. Yeah. He's got to have a director who will either rein him in or give him, like, the parameters to go crazy and then yeah. cut him off. Because if he has one that, like, lets him go too much, then that's when you get some of his weirder performances. Yeah. Um, and in this one, like, I mean... I think he's great in this. He's so um, good. And it's pretty, like, there's nothing to complain about with this performance, I don't yeah. think. And I also think he does a great job of differentiating the twins. Mm-hmm. Because, like, the, there's just, like, even, like, their body language and stuff, Donald is so relaxed that half the time he's actually laying on the floor. Yes. Um, just yeah. so unbothered by God, anything. I love Donald laying on the floor I all the love time. Donald laying on the floor. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really good thing example to point to of, like, Nicolas Cage can do nat- naturalistic acting yeah. if he puts his mind to it. It's just not the thing he's super interested in. Right. Because we've seen it before with, like, Pig, you mm-hmm. know? Um, or even Joe, which is, like, a little weird. Like, he gets to do a lot more character work in that one, but it's still a realistic yeah, performance. Yeah, there's nothing weird about his performance in Joe. Right. So, I don't know. I think that's just super interesting. Um... Oh, that, so, okay, so this movie starts with voiceover, as we said, basically laying out all his insecurities. McHugh hate it. Um, <laughs> That's a little joke for those of you who did your homework and watched the movie. A little joke for people who actually watch the film. Um, <laughs> I could be so much more annoying than I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have the power. I just am constantly holding back. It just happened. <laughs> everyone just hung up on this podcast. Yeah, everyone hit stop. They were yeah, like, well, we're done. <laughs> um, I loved that it showed behind the scene footage from being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. That was so funny. And then, but it had like, um, do you think that, this is maybe a stupid question. Do you think that's actually behind the scene footage and then they put Nicolas Cage in it? Or did they have all those people come back? To just do this behind the scene. It didn't occur to me that it might not be actually behind the scenes of being John Malkovich. Yeah. I didn't either until right now. And then I was like, maybe I'm stupid. 
Maybe this was They don't credit John Malkovich as a character in the movie. No, they don't. It feels like, to me, it felt like a behind-the-scenes footage, and then they just added on... Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, because there's, like, a swipe of the camera that you could do an edit cut there. Yeah. Um... I mean, I guess, like, they probably don't, like, throw away all of the John Malkovich masks after they're done filming it, right? Right. But there is a scene later on the set of being John Malkovich that is not, that is, like, part, a scene in this film. Mm -hmm. John Malkovich isn't in that one, though. And it's just, like, the set and Catherine Keener. So that one feels like they could have shot it later. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, But I thought that was really interesting because I was like, that, and then we went to... The how did I get here? And it went four billion years in the past. <laughs> Which was just, I was sitting there going, what is this film? <laughs> we have been all over the place. So we see like from Hollywood four billion years earlier, Big Bang all the way through like the birth of a baby. It's very wild. Um, yeah. One of my favorite things in this movie is halfway through when you start realizing that, oh, he's actually writing the movie that we've already seen so far. Yes. Yeah. When he starts dictating the opening to the film that we just saw. Um, Yeah. It's such a, yeah. As you've said, this is such a meta film and it's such a like, I'm particularly fascinated by adaptations. Mm -hmm. Like I took a whole class on it and like, that's one of my, one of the areas I did in my exams was on like adaptations of Gothic stories And it is fascinating to me, like, the choices that you have to make to move something from one medium to another. And, like, what do you keep? What do you lose? Um, Do you preserve the theme and then change everything else? So, for me, I really appreciated seeing sort of, like, the struggle of it. Especially as in this movie, he is a fairly successful screenwriter um, who is trying to adapt The Orchid Thief, which is, like a best-selling book by this New Yorker um, author who was played in this movie by Meryl Streep. And the book is, like, Mostly about flowers. Yeah, it's mostly, like, an interest... Like, it's flowers and then her sort of introspection about her life. And there's not really a plot, which is why he is struggling so much, because he doesn't want to add a plot. Mm -hmm. But he also... It sounds like it would be a really hard book to adapt into a movie. I, yeah, I don't know why you would choose to adapt this into a movie. That's what I kept thinking. I was like, I'm sure it's good. Why would you try to adapt it? Like, yeah, I feel like the way that you do it is that you still have to make it about her. Mm-hmm. But that sounds like straightforward and boring anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I the, the closest I can think to a movie that was sort of adapted like, like this one Julie is... Julie and Julia. <laughs> That one even has more plot because you've yeah. got lives, like you got people's lives who are like, I was thinking of the um, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Did you ever see that mm. adaptation? Was that with Oprah? Yeah. Uh, I didn't see it, but I remember it. It was a good adaptation, but it was one where it's like, it's not a narrative story. Mm-hmm. It is about um, this woman who is trying to like uncover the life of, of the woman who produce the HeLa cells. That, right. You know, really good book, mostly documentary style, nonfiction style, and then interspersed with the sort of story of this family. So the movie kind of does this, where it's about the author, like it's going back and forth between the history and then like this author trying to convince the family to let her write about it and like write about them. Um, Sounds a little bit like, uh, uh, won't you be, was 
the Mr. Rogers movie that wasn't a documentary that came out. Oh yeah. Yeah. That I guess that like is kind sort of, of mostly about the author too. Interesting. Do you think that they all are following in the footsteps of Charlie Kaufman? No. <laughs> all right. Um because none of those are like this where it turns out that they've been writing the thing that you're watching the whole time. Right. Yeah, you're right. But I'm also trying to think if there's any movies I can think of before, that before adaptation this, the, that the do that. the author is like inserted into the thing. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Hit us up on uh, Instagram or whatever if you Tell can us think which of. obvious thing that we're missing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there is one that someone is like, ugh, idiots. Um, ooh, I love... Nicolas Cage's body language in this. Like, it's like he's trying to shrink mm-hmm. in every scene that he's in. It's like he's trying to shrink himself. Um, is very effective. And it's just, like, totally gives you the, like, character. He's just so anxiety-ridden the yes. whole time. Yeah. Um, like, in the elevator when he's gone to the New Yorker's office. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get to the New Yorker to visit, um... Susan or- Susan Orlean, who is Meryl Streep's character. Yeah. And he can't get off the elevator, and then she actually ends up getting in the elevator, but doesn't know who he is, and he's just, like, in the corner, and so occasionally good. he'll be, like, start to try to say something, and then he, like, stares back at the floor. Yeah, and <laughs> like, she's uncomfortable because she can, like, feel this dude staring at her, and he is, like, in the corner, just staring at her neck. Um, yeah. It, and... Yeah, like you said before, totally different body language for Donald, who is so relaxed that he is just, like, just take, melting on the floor. He takes up so much space yes. at all times. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things, I don't remember the other actor who is the Kaufman stand-in, but his brother, mm. Mark, um, also served as a stand-in for him in some of the when twin scenes. When they were doing scenes. the twin scenes. Yeah. Um, he's the Coppola brother that is most built like Nicolas Cage. Yes. Of the two. Yeah, because there's we the, the one we've already seen, whose name I forget. Chris. Uh, Chris. Christopher? Yeah. Christopher Coppola, whose movie Deadfall we've already covered. And the other one. That Arsenal? I... Yes, Arsenal. There you go. Um, he was in Arsenal. He has a cameo. And he's I remember we talked like about... Steven Seagal vibe a little bit. He has bit. a Steven Seagal body, for sure. And then also the the glasses. I think he wears, like, the round sunglasses in a lot of the pictures yeah. we saw. Um, just, like, I remember we, we saw him on, on screen and we were both like, that's Nicholas Cage? Doesn't look brother? anything like him. Nothing like him. It was wild. Um, but, yeah, so his other brother stands in for him. Um, and then... Uh, we've got, oh, okay, so, I'm gonna talk about Brian Cox, so I have to back up. So, Donald is sort of just, uh, he wants to be a He's sort of dead weight, I think, at the beginning, he doesn't have a job, and mm-hmm. he's just living with his brother, and he is just like, I think I'm gonna become a screenwriter, and of course, there's, you know, Charlie, who is this anxiety, he's high anxiety, but he's also, like, an intellectual. And he's kind of a, uh... He's kind of a downer. He's, he's kind a of a naysayer. huge downer. Super negative all the time. Yes. And so he's very much like, screenwriting's pretty hard, and like, you have to study for a long time to do it. And he's like, it's cool, I'm signing up for a seminar. He's like, workshops are all a piece of crap, rip off. <laughs> yes. And then you'll just do the same thing that everyone else does if you follow that. And so the, the, the seminar is by... McKee. McKee. John McKee? 
No. <laughs> What's his name? Robert? Robert, Robert McKee? Robert McKee? I looked him up. Yeah, we looked him up multiple times. He's a real times. person. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's fascinating because he is a real person. He is famous for writing books about screenwriting and teaching seminars about screenwriting, but has never... Robert McKee. Robert McKee. Never actually produced a screenplay... That has been made. That has been made, which is interesting, you know. You, you know what they say. Well, I feel like Can't that really teach. reminded me of uh, this podcast that you've gotten me turned on to, and the advice of all of these self-help guys is, like, teach classes. Yes. Here's how you become an expert. Yeah, here's how you make money, is convince other people. You sound confident and you know a little bit about something that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know about. Yes. Yeah. It's If Books Could Kill. Yeah. High recommend. Love that podcast. And oftentimes the grift is to uh, the um, self-help books. It's like telling people to write self-help books or seminars because that's how they got rich. Um, and of course, like that doesn't, you can't do that forever. You know, it, it, everyone can't do that. Um, but one of the funniest things is we were like, oh, he's a real person. And I read that uh, the that, Ro- that Robert requested Brian Cox play him in the film and then we looked him up and he looks just like Brian Cox. He really does. <laughs> we said, okay, g- good choice. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like a classic Brian Cox yelling at people role, which I love. Yeah. Um, I have no notes about that. He's there was incredible. a couple of people like Chris Cooper keeps asking who's going to play him. Yes. Uh, who would play you? Me? Yeah. Ooh. That's a good question. Um... Oh, I would like, okay, here's one. A.D. Bryant, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I feel like she could be a good me, you know? Um, I don't know if I have any of the others off the top of my head. Do you know who would play you? No, I just wanted to ask you. Well, now you have to I do answer. have to answer. <laughs> That's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> um, oh, Barry Keegan. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Uh, the guy from Silver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can do anything. He can do anything he wants. Obviously, Nicolas Cage. Yes. Uh, we both obviously want to be... Play- Here's what... Nicolas Cage will play you. Willem Dafoe will play me. Excellent. <laughs> we solved it. Uh, yeah. Write in. Who do you think would play each of us? would love to know. Who do you want to play you? Yeah. Do I want to Give me the side-by-side picture of you and the actor you want to have play you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing think, interesting enough has happened in my life, I don't think. That I know. I'm, I'm like, generally trying like, to I think, think of, a movie like... about me would probably be kind of bad. I'm trying to think of someone who's funny, because, like, that's, I'm a that's little funny, and um, my life's pretty boring, so you'd need a comedian to make it, you know, entertaining, which is why I went with A.D. Bryan. But I also feel like, you know, you could put Kate McKinnon any role to make it interesting. Oh, yeah. She's always doing wild stuff. She's always going to find something. Um, yeah. I think your face is closer to Kate McKinnon's face mm, than A.D. Bryant's face. Okay. All right. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm more concerned, you know, with the energy. Yeah. Trying to capture the energy of me. I need the rye. <laughs> <laughs> Who... Could but you know who could capture my energy? Who? Ryan Gosling. Perfect. <laughs> you both have that wry sense of humor. We both have a very, very dry, deadpan yeah. sense of humor and also like creepy stuff. 
Yeah. So I, I, and we also love musicals. So I think that's perfect. And he loves the Muppets. So there we go. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I just saw Poor Things. Mm. Well, I think Emma Stone had more range than I had previously given her credit for. Oh, she's great. She's so good. She's great. And I, I like. I, I liked her before too, but. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it, I don't I, think you need a lot of range to play me, but I still want an actor that has the goods, you know? Yeah, I think Emma Stone would make an excellent you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen any of the, I haven't seen the actual show that it is, but have you seen her on Nathan, with the, that Nathan Fielder show? I watched two episodes of it, um, and I haven't continued it because I, I heard that it was like a horror show and maybe it does become horror but let me tell you the first two episodes are just cringe yeah are just really uncomfortable which is what nathan fielder does and what what safety does and so it's not surprising but it's like not generally my thing so i i turned it off yeah i haven't continued it i took a break to watch fargo so um yeah i don't know she's too old to play me at this point in my life but maybe sometime in the future if she stops aging and i continue uh, Frances McDormand. Oh, excellent. She's one of my favorites. Excellent. Oh, she'd be so good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Speaking of Fargo. <laughs> she stops aging and I continue. When she stops aging and you keep aging and you guys meet in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. She's got a lot of money, so I feel like she's got more power to stop aging than I do. Yes, yeah. So. I felt, when I watched Poor Things, I felt very seen uh, in the character of the old woman on the boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, that's me. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and like she was my favorite. She's so good. And the part I guess where this she, is a plug for poor things. This is, this is a plug for all the things we've been watching lately. Um but the part where she's like, Oh, I've always wanted to be murdered. Like I loved it. <laughs> oh god. I have so much I can say about that movie. Yeah, we're not gonna Let's give you go any more because you should just go see it. Um anyway, adaptation, another great film that we recently watched. Um literally. <laughs> We've been doing the podcast for 30 minutes, and so we finished watching Adaptation about 30 minutes ago. Yeah, we watched it 35 minutes ago. Um, Yeah, so uh, we started on this, and then we got sidetracked, but um, the two brothers have these sort of, like, different approaches to Mm -hmm. life, right? And it's, which is part of the reason, to me, it sort of felt like one psyche split in two. Um, Because, like, Donald is kind of a... He's a himbo. He's a a dim bulb. He's a... Wait, what's... He's a what? A dim bulb. Oh, a dim bulb. Yeah. I thought you were inventing a new version of himbo that was like a dimbo. <laughs> a dimbo! And I was like, aren't himbos already kind of dim? But... As they get older and they become dads, they become dimbos. <laughs> <laughs> and moms who were bimbos become mimbos. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole thing. I feel like Donald shines very brightly. He's just not that smart. Yeah. That's what I was going for. The brain is the bulb. <laughs> Yeah, but, but he's, he's not such like a shining st- star. He's not, and apparently he's not that dumb. People liked his uh, his screenplay. That's the thing is, like he people liked his screenplay, which I think is more commentary on Hollywood because it is like a super yeah. cliched plot. And also, here's something very funny. Um, so his screenplay is called Three, and the the whole conceit of it is that there's like a cop chasing this serial killer who has this woman trapped in his basement and then like the reveal at the end is they're all the same person and they have split personality disorder which is which is um charlie said he's like how are you supposed to depict that on screen um it works much better in like a book where Mm -hmm. you're not actually you just have to rely on the narrator um but this was like bothering me because when they were describing it i was like i feel like i've seen that movie 
And then in the facts, it was like, there's actually a movie called Three, but like the E is a backwards three. Of um, from 2006, uh, based on the Ted Decker novel um, that has basically the same like And plot. it came out a few years later. It came out later. And I never saw the movie. I read the book back when I was like in high school. Do you think Charlie Kaufman was like talking to that screenwriter? Like how... How the fuck do you even do that? Oh, God, I hope. I, I hope that he had, like, a boring conversation with him at a party, and that's why he did in the film. Um, I don't know when the book was written. It was a book that, when I was in high school, I thought was really good, and I know later, because Ted Decker's work is not good, uh, <laughs> that it was probably not a good book. <laughs> um, but now I want, I want to watch the movie to see how they did it. I yeah, feel, me too. We should watch it. It's probably terrible. All right. I'm Let's ready. do it. Um... <laughs> Sorry, guys, we have to go. We have to go watch a movie. We're going to go watch the three. <laughs> See you in an hour, two hours. Um, yeah, so we've got... Uh, so an interesting thing happens with this movie in that... Um, because it is a collaboration between the two brothers. About halfway through the film, Charlie agrees to let Donald help him write or ask Donald to help him write this screenplay that he's really struggling with. And at that point... It changes genres. The movie changes genres. And it turns into this thriller with all these cliches. Um, And Susan, who has been up to this point, this, like, um, very sort of complicated um, middle-aged woman who is sort of struggling with uh, not having a passion or having lost passion in her life and, like, sort of not being happy in her marriage. Um, It turns... She turns into this, like, drug... Doing a drug doing drug um, adult drug adult. Uh, She's in love with Chris Cooper's character. Yes. They're having a saucy affair, yeah. and, <laughs> and it, so they the brothers follow her because like the tone is not just like the scenes from the movie. It's also like the movie mm-hmm. has changed. So the brothers are chasing her down to Florida, where she's like secretly meeting up with. Um, Chris Cooper's what's his character's name LaRoche mm-hmm. and I also feel like LaRoche's hair got better after the switch did you notice that huh it seemed like less greasy after like he became like a romantic leap yeah <laughs> um and so then you know they the brothers see them doing like this this made up green drug from the orchids um and having an affair and so then they are trying to kill the brothers in the swamp and they shoot Donald in the arm and as they're running away or <laughs> the Roche starts to give like a dramatic speech and a and a gator just grabs him and starts death rolling in the middle of his speech and then the brothers are running away and get in the car and they get hit by a truck and Donald flies out of the window and dies and uh, and yeah it's very sad I felt like the car thing felt a little bit like a callback to how LaRoche's wife and family it was absolutely I think it was supposed to be like Donald ripping that off or yeah. trying to like make symmetry or something right. in the story because it is it happens almost like so there's a there's a point earlier in um the the book that he's at a, that he's adapting and he's describing and there's a scene we see um LaRoche is like missing his front teeth and he's sort of greasy and he's got like a ponytail and you know her rich New Yorker friends had laughed about like him not having his teeth and like why wouldn't you ever get them replaced 
And then she's talking to him about, uh, to LaRoche about the nursery he used to own. And he tells her the story about how he had to open this nursery with his wife. Uh, he, he loved it. Things were looking really good for him. And then he gets T-boned. Um, backing as, out, of, backing the out of the driveway. And his uncle's killed. His mom is injured. and She's killed, too. She's killed. And then his, his wife is in a coma. His wife's in a coma. And that's um, how he gets his teeth knocked out. And his, he lost his teeth. And I was like, what a what a sad reveal. Yeah. After that, like, moment of... It's really well done to, like, like, have that moment. I feel like, generally, like, the assumption should be that if you have some kind of physical deformity, like, all of your front teeth being missing, it probably is from something sad. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be it sad be. whether it's, like, a health thing or, or like yeah. you couldn't afford dental care or it's you were in an sad. accident. It's sad. And, like, them making fun of him for it was just, like, such a... Really kind of heartless. And... Yeah, which is why you see when she, like, goes to the bathroom, you can kind of tell that she feels uncomfortable about it. Yeah. Um, But also doesn't stop them or tell them, like, not, you know, change the subject or anything. Um, but yeah, so so at the end when they get hit, unless they get you're an T-boned. NHL hockey player, like right, <laughs> unless you're you're like a a boxer, even then it's pretty sad if you've lost your teeth. Both of those professions, you probably also have brain damage, so <laughs> <laughs> probably it's still sad, um, especially if you you don't have the money to like get filling or what, well, that's like the thing is if you're a pro boxer or a pro NHL person. You probably do have the money. I think half the time the hockey players just leave them out when they're on the ice for the clout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to lose them. You don't yeah. want them to get knocked out of your mouth. Exactly. Come on, it's practical. Um, but yeah, they absolutely, that crash at the end, I think is supposed to parallel his crash. And there was actually like a really sad moment when Donald is dying when they, he starts, um, Charlie starts singing Happy Together. Yeah, which is Donald had sung to him earlier when he was figuring out that uh, Susan and LaRoche were having an affair. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then he has to, like, tell his mom. And then it gets, like, again, very met at the end when he is, like, describing the ending of the film. And it is, like, what we're watching. You know, he's like, Kaufman drives away smiling because he's finished the screenplay and blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's how it ends. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I also love to McKee when he goes to his seminar is always talking about Casablanca. Uh-huh. And um, like Donald is talking about Casablanca because McKee is talking about Casablanca. And he has the moment with Amelia, the woman that he was kind of seeing where yes. like they have their like they part ways because they can't be together moment, which yeah. is like kind of like the and ending of kiss, Casablanca. And she's like, but I'm with someone. And he's like, that's okay. I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And they go and they leave and it's very like, here's looking at you kid kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So, and then also I had a really good laugh at the end because like we said, there's this running joke of like, who's going to play me in the film? And he's like, "Who's who would play me in the film?" And he says, um, "Maybe Gerard Depardieu, uh, if he can go without the accent." And I'm like, "He, that's all he is is accent, like French accent is his entire thing." Um, so imagining him going without it is very funny to me. Um, yeah, and then that is also talk about a way that we can get further away from Charlie Kaufman. Oh my god, to have a, Gerard a, a wide blonde Frenchman play him. Because, like, <laughs> Gerard Depardieu is wide. I don't know how yeah. else to explain it. He's got a wide head. He's big got a wide jaw. body. Like, big hair. 
big nose. Like, everything about him is just wide. And then, again, Charlie Kaufman, slim. Teeny tiny man. <laughs> slim little. Short king. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I did when I was looking him up. It Narrow. did say that he was 5'4". Oh, he's so small. He's so small. <laughs> His hair is bigger than him. Yes. Yeah, so that is Adaptation. Uh, very well received. Um, What'd you think? I really liked it. I really liked it. I thought, um, and like, here's the thing is, is at the beginning it was very meta and I was like, this is cool. Um, and it starts to get a little old. And then when it switches to Donald and it's suddenly this go. like. It's fresh it, again. Yes. It needed something. It, it needed was, the Donald. It was fresh, but it's also showing you like the different sort of things that happen when people adapt yeah. stories and like how just changing who the author is changes so much of the story and, and the tone. Of the I film. think it's really fun. So I think that that was a really clever, not just to make it meta, but to do that made it like an extra level up. Yeah, and I, 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 I love this movie. I do think that it is a major crime that this was not did not win the screenplay that year. Um. So you know what was generally well received. What do you want to guess is the Rotten Tomato scores? Um, it's a little weird. So I'm gonna guess that not everyone liked it. I'm gonna guess it's like an eighty eight percent. That's really close. The critic score is 90. Yeah. Okay. And the audience score is 85. So you're oh. really splitting the difference All there. right. I'll be honest. The audience score is higher than I thought. Yeah. But maybe that's... Weird. Maybe that's because... Yeah. Because often... This is the sort of movie, if people didn't know anything about it, I could imagine them just being like, this is too weird. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't like him. He, he's weird and awkward. Um... So yeah, I'm a little surprised that it was that high, but it, you know, good for them. It deserves mm. it. Um, you have any more fun facts for us? Um, I don't. Oh, uh, like we said before, this movie is dedicated to the memory of Donald Kaufman, <laughs> which I think is very funny. Um, I don't know if I have any more. There's just like a ton of screen making facts about this film one of my favorites is that susan orlean the real susan orlean and um first she did not want this movie to be made they sent her the script and she was like this is not me <laughs> right she was just like i just said that and then you know they, they were like this isn't charlie kaufman either like to be clear and so then she and charlie kaufman only met like twice and um once was during the filming of the movie and once was after like i think at the premiere probably um and during the 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 filming of the premiere, you know, she was like, this is, like, very embarrassing for me to, like, watch me being played as this, like, sort of, you know, person that I'm not. And Charlie Kaufman was just like, uh, how do you think I feel? <laughs> um, which I think is fair because he is definitely portrayed a lot worse than yeah. she is. <laughs> um, and until the halfway point, she's portrayed... Pretty, pretty normal. Pretty normally, and she's portrayed by Meryl Streep, which is, right. you know, what a fucking dream. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Meryl Streep also said this was, like, the best screenplay she's ever received. Love that. Yeah, like, when she got it, she was just like, absolutely sign me up. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting facts, but it's more stuff about, like, the making of and, and process. Um, and a lot of the people, you know, are based on real people like Ron Livingston's character is based on Charlie Kaufman's agent, um, which is very strange. Um, but yeah. Great. Oh, one more thing. Uh, the flower and the time-lapse sequence at the end of the movie that we see, when I saw it, I was like, 
why not an orchid instead of these like daisies? Um, those flowers are called amelias. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. That is a good fact. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I think it's time for Inside the Cage. Uh, we're twins. We're twins. Get it? Get it. There's two of us. Um, okay. So very interesting, uh, little teaser came out on the internet yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday. It's very, yeah, yesterday. Um, Neon, which is a production studio. They do, they're very similar in many ways to A24. They do a lot of sort of artsy, um, I've seen some horror. great Neon movies. Oh, I've just, Possessor. Uh, is a neon movie. I love that movie, um, and I highly recommend it. Um, Infinity Pool is another one. I haven't seen that one yet. I haven't seen that one either. I remember they did, um, oh my god, of course my mind is gonna go completely blank. Uh Uh-huh. But, uh... The one with the stuff? The one with the... Elizabeth... Not Elizabeth Olsen. Um, oh, Dakota... Not Dakota Fanning. What's her younger sister's name? Elle Fanning. Elle Fanning. Neon Demon? Neon Demon. Wasn't that, that one's a Neon wild. Movie? I think so. I love that. Oh, I think John Wick is a neon film. Oh, that would make sense. Uh Old maybe the Old Boy remake too? That also makes sense. Yeah. I feel like they have like a lot of horror and a lot of action. Yes, and it's it's a lot of sort of um Yeah, artsy, impressionistic, weird stuff, which is what I love. Um, so highly recommend. They, the one they just had come out is Ferrari. Um. And Eileen, which I want to see. And I believe Self-Reliance is another one that's going to be coming out. Oh, I want to see that so bad. Me too. Um, so yeah, they do a lot of, um, uh, horror movies. Uh, they just released a strange little teaser trailer yesterday. It doesn't, it didn't say what it was for. It did have a title, but it's in sort of like cryptic... I don't know. Yeah, what was the name Scribbling? of the video? Um, so this one is... Oh, what is the name of... Hold on, let me actually click over to it, because that... Ooh. Oh, the name of it is Every Year There Is Another. Is the name of the teaser, which is only 36 seconds long. Pig was a neon movie. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, released by Neon, and it's got a voiceover that maybe is Nick Cage? Definitely. We've I'm not sure yet. I, I think so. But, um, and so it's just like a picture of a family while there's a 911 voice call over it, and then at the end you see this sort of, like, creepy image of, like, very long girls' legs. Like, they're too long. And so people have assumed that this is a teaser trailer for Long Legs, which is the um, horror film that Nicolas Cage and Micah Monroe are going to be in that's going to be directed by Oz Perkins. Um, hopefully, people are thinking it's going to start showing this year at some, like um, at maybe at Sundance or South by Southwest um, at some of the film um, festivals, uh, but there's no solid information yet. I'm very excited. Um Oz Perkins, uh, he is, besides being the son of psycho star Anthony Perkins, um, is very no- is very well known for doing artsy horror films. He did I'm the Pretty Thing Who Lives in the House, uh, The Black Coat's Daughter, and Gretel, Greta and Hansel. Um, I've seen, I haven't seen Hans- <sighs> Greta, Greta and Hansel. Hansel. Um, I saw the other two. I'd, I, 
horror people are going to get mad at me for saying this. I don't love them as as much as a lot of people do, but they're beautiful films. Like, it's it's very... I mean, it's just art. It's the cinematography yeah. and the music and everything. Um, for me, it sort of falls apart as it doesn't feel like enough of a story. You know? It feels more like impressions. And um, it, it, he's so good at creating a vibe. Um, but I'm really interested to see this one, especially because of the cast. This weird little teaser that people think is about this movie is very creepy, and I love it a lot. Yes, he's so good at that. Like, the I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, if you just watch it as, like, visual poetry, perfect. It's very good. It's got a lot of creepy moments. Um, it's got, you know, gorgeous cinematography. Uh, the ending, I was sort of like, what was that? <laughs> uh... <laughs> But I highly recommend checking them out. Um, Black Coat's Daughter is a favorite among horror people, especially indie horror oh, people. Okay, so, cool. Um, yeah. So hopefully that we'll get more information about that. But check out that teaser trailer. It's very cool. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. All right. We have no idea, once again, what our next movie is going to be. Yeah. Um, probably something brand new. Yeah, I think, you know... Not, we, like, brand we, new as in a new movie, but we're probably going to go in a that different direction. Uh, <laughs> we're making a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> He's here right now. Um, yeah, because you you rightly said that this movie would it's be a vibes good... to Dream Scenario a little bit. Yes, yeah, this is a good companion piece to Dream Scenario, uh, and I, I think absolutely. Um, but, yeah, now we'll, we'll see where, where our, our whim takes us for our next film. All right. Well, that's it. All right. Stay cagey. Bye.